and it's kind of, it's more than consensus because on the one hand probably all the patriarchs were corrected historically right. and this is why we uh don't have a pope and and the roman catholics and and i don't mean this in a negative way they have a theological belief of the uh magisterial infallibility of their pontiff when he speaks on faith and morals ex cathedra from his seat we have mm -hmm. nothing like that in the orthodox church and we never have and so when a bishop sits there and says well my decisions won't be reviewed by the church well maybe not while you have breath but the church goes back and revisits things Welcome to Crossing Face, where Christian and Muslim speak religion and politics. Uh, I'm John Pinna, and I'm here with my um, my friend and colleague, Father John Anderson, who uh, I brought on uh, hot off of a trip from Hungary, where he was at an ecumenical conference uh, to speak about his beach of the pond, uh, Christian Eastern Orthodoxy, and. I just thought it would be appropriate because we speak about different faith groups and we try to bring faith groups in uh, to speak about their perspective of religion and politics, but getting, taking a step back and getting into who uh, these communities are and, and what they are. Um, my history on, on this is, is uh, amorphous and spotty at best. So welcome, Father John. Thank you, sir. Welcome, or uh, glad to be here. And um, I wasn't a speaker at the conference, but when we were trying to record this before, you had said something that I was going to comment on. And even though it's not recorded on this, I'm going to comment on it anyway. Uh, you talked about working with somebody else, I believe, by the name of Elliot. And I just want all comers to know that John T. Pinna is my partner here. And we have to travel to exotic locations for him to get me on uh, Crossing Faiths, Erbil or Budapest. You know, next time he's probably going to have us like in the Antarctic. And he'll go, oh, yeah, let's record a Crossing Faiths episode. Well, so, we were we I did. We were in, in Budapest together. Um, yeah, I, we with the intent was to was to uh, record. But we mm -hmm. were so busy. Right. It just wasn't possible. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, I had to bust your chops. It's uh, well, well, it's okay. You know, it's, it is true. I, 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 I do uh, fetishize the evangelicals a little bit. Uh, so, so I, uh, you know, with Matthew and Elliot and some of the other uh, buddies that I have on online here, cause they're fun, you know, they're fun, you know, so, you know, doomsday cults are fun. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so. But well, but what, what, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so I, I, I you know, I, I kind of wanted to just like you said, take a step back and and talk about Eastern Orthodoxy. You're an Antiochian Orthodox Christian, uh, and that's one one group, one sect within within uh, 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 Orthodoxy. Uh, and uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to kind of go through, you know, how how this this community exists uh, and came to be. And so from my understanding, we have the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. Western, the Western Roman Empire falls. 
You have the rise of the papacy. It's the uh, the sum of equals. What what do they call the guy? Uh, it equal first among equals. First among equals. So so the the papacy starts to rise, and the put and the and the pope starts to rise as an authority, right? Mm -hmm. The so one of the yeah one of the arguments would be is when Rome was sacked in uh, what was it four hundred A.D. The uh, papacy helped fill it a political vacuum that the empire lost footing on. But in the East, the Roman Empire, although uh, erroneously or misnomer, it's called the Byzantine Empire because they thought of themselves as Romans. They called themselves Romans. They never called themselves Byzantines, right? They never called exactly. themselves that at all. Yeah. yeah, and actually the term for the Orthodox in Arabic, the predominant language in that region now, is room, room orthodox, so Roman orthodox. And apparently it was the French who, at the end of World War I, and as they were partitioning uh, the Middle East, didn't want the orthodox to be known in Western languages as room, Roman. So they put on the term Greek. And for anybody who knows anything about languages, Greek is actually, my understanding, a Turkish word even though it refers to Hellenic uh, background. But for many of the Orthodox, that's not and never has been an appropriate term. So we know that the, the and there was that you're talking about around the, the 400s, the, the split started to happen, right? Because the sacking so, of Rome. Well, the, the split didn't happen then. What happened is the uh, papal... I'm I'm talking about the, the two churches, right? So you have right, two churches, right. two centers. Then this this great schism or schism is is a thousand or thereabouts, right? Ten, ten fifty four. So I'll give you a little background. So Rome falls to the Vandals in approximately four hundred A.D. There are some issues. There's a thing called the Phocian schism, and I'm probably going to get the dates wrong. In the eighth century, ninth century, and there's some friction between Constantinople and Rome. Uh, as ecclesiastical centers. But there's the same Prior, church. Same church, same beliefs. Okay. And then with the coronation of Charlemagne in 800, for instance, the uh, uh, Latins, let's just call them Latins at that point, the Latins insert what's called the filioque and sun into the uh, Nicene-Constantinople creed. And they do that. That was an introduction. I believe it was uh, from the introduced for the first time in the Council of Toledo in Spain, I want to say fifth, fifth century. And it was an anti-Arian. Arius is a, a, uh, the head of a heretical group, an anti-Arian uh, anti addition to the creed, never approved universally and the creed was approved by ecumenical councils so you can't just edit it at will and or unilaterally or asymmetrically and so that caused some problems there was a formal split attributed around 1054 and parts of the orthodox world if you will at that point uh post 1054 were actually still in communion with the see of rome so the pope 
of Rome, the uh, pontiff, until the 12th century. Okay, so and to my, to my understanding, so that you, it, there's that split in 1054. There's a split mm -hmm. a little bit before that. Two, there's two churches, two centers, because obviously the, the Western Empire falls, as they say, but falls using small f because the, the, the Romans moved to Constantinople uh, and established that as their center, but the papacy is rising. There's uh, there there's there's a mudding of affairs because there's kings and obviously uh, 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 empires or that are that are forming in the wake of the fall of the Western Empire and the papacy is working very closely to seat them. So we can do one of two things at this point because I'll explain. There are actually four uh, imperial centers in the Roman Empire at one point. So we can do civil uh, history and we can try and marry it up with the ecclesiastical, but it's it, we're kind of going for, far afield. So there were four, uh, two, first one, then two, then four co-emperors. And the emperor in Constantinople didn't, after... Constantine built Constantinople, now known as Istanbul, didn't fall till 1453. Right. And has so, not recovered since then. The Roman emperor in Rome fell in 400, I believe it was the right. sacking of Rome by the Vandals, never recovered. And then in my ignorance, I'm blanking out on the other two centers. Right. I so, believe so Alex Alexandria was one and... and the other one was in Western North Africa. Go ahead. So, so, so during this period from, from the sacking of, of Rome to 1054, the churches are, are, are muddying through are they're, they're, they're going through uh, this. They're, they're, they're dealing with this, this, this fall of the, of the Western Roman empire. But, and, and as this happens, they're having these, like you said, a class, e e uh, they're having differences in, in the interpretation of theology, but in 1054, something happens. It's called the Great Schism, right? And mm -hmm. and and that's when there's that separation. It, Catholicism becomes Europe, and then from like what we would call Eastern Europe over across North Africa becomes Eastern Orthodoxy. And what's the difference between the two? So um, the... Well, I'm trying to figure out the best way to, to distinguish them for the sake of our conversation. So we will just use Broad terms, strokes. Broad yeah, strokes. 21st century terms. So Roman or Latin Catholics, Catholics under the Pope of Rome, uh, just to give some background, they're the largest religious group in the world. What are they, 1.3 billion? They're, actually, they may be 1.4, 1.5. Pretty... Uh, homogeneous in belief, heterogeneous in composition, uh, and they stretch all over the globe. And I believe if they're not in every country, it's close to it. And uh, the three major issues uh, that separate them day to day from Orthodox Christians. So Orthodox Christians, depending if you're including Eastern and Oriental as they're known, uh, they're somewhere between four and 500 million. The larger populations being Russia, Ethiopia, 
uh, Ukraine and um, Ethiopia, Russia. I, when, if I knew you were going to get so academic, I would have reviewed some of my history here. Well, the Greeks. And uh, the Greeks actually population are not that big. Hmm. Between the country of Greece and hmm. other populations like Cyprus and smaller uh, diaspora, if they're 10 or 11 million, I'd be surprised. And the Romanians are larger than that. Uh, the Serbs are six to eight, I believe. I believe the Bulgarians are somewhat similar. Uh, the Romanians are 20 to 30 million. Perhaps the Copts, the Coptics in Egypt, uh, the government will not publish the census on how many Copts there are. So the estimates are there somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the population of Egypt or more. So they could be 20 million easily. As I mentioned, the Ethiopian Orthodox, although it's splintering in different groups right now, as a collective whole, uh, the churches that uh, up until recently all liturgically used goods, G-E, apostrophe E-Z or accent, um, they were probably 40 million as well or more. And so that gives you some idea of the demographics of it. So there are a couple of things to know. One, there was a split at the Council of Chalcedon between what we know today we'll call the non-Chalcedonian or Oriental Orthodox. The largest groups there are the Ethiopians, and amongst those are Eritrean churches now, uh, the Copts, the Syriac, and the Malankara are the uh, and the Armenians are the biggest groups. And um, if I miss anybody, I apologize. And collectively, uh, they are throughout what we'd call MENA, Middle East, North Africa. And the Malankara are on the southwest coast of India. They're an indigenous Christian group, meaning they've been there for 2,000 years. Oh. And so uh, unlike the Catholics that came in, I believe, in the 16th century and the Protestants who came later, the native Christian group are the Malankara, and then they have a Catholic equivalent, um, the uh, which I can't think of off, the, I want to say Malabar, but that may not be right. But they're both <laughs> descended in India from saint thomas the apostle okay so, the egyptians are saint mark i'm sorry go ahead no so so that's the oriental group orthodox of, right of orthodox christianity and then to me it's big the big ones are the russian orthodox church the greek orthodox church and then you've got your the the antiochians which is like what it's turkey syria right in the middle east there lebanon lebanon and and so the the center was Constantinople false? And you have, well, we, yeah. Oh, you have the patriarch there. Yeah, we. And then, you, you and I've had discussions about this. So there are many patriarchs. Actually, when I say many, there are over a dozen primates of autocephalous churches. Autocephalous of, means just uh, it means like for, uh, uh, independent, self-headed. Yeah, self-headed. Right. And in. Uh, uh, order of precedence the five ancient patriarchs the pentarchy as it's called was rome constantinople um, 
Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. And is that is that still exist now? No, because they're not in communion with other, each other. Okay, so so so, so the, the Pope, Catholics are run by the papacy and the Pope. You guys have patriarchs, which is usually five. <clears throat> used five to be five, right? And that run each one of these autocephalous sort of independent churches. Now it's amorphous because churches have decided what to do. Well, so the, the yeah, there are other well, the Orthodox. It's very interesting about the Orthodox. Okay, uh, Christians, and the reason why I say it that way is that there are many, many ethnic groups. There are different things that happen to different groups. So basically, the Room Orthodox in the Middle East over the last hundred years have been decimated. Uh, the last major decimating force, but not just of the Room Orthodox, but of others as well, was ISIS. And so prior to ISIS, 10% of Syria was Christian. 90% of the Christians there were Room Orthodox, Patriarchate of Antioch. And so ISIS uh, very effectively went through parts of the Middle East and decimated minority populations. Syria and Kurdistan, northern Iraq, hmm. um, and other places as well. And then they uh, metastasized into Africa, for instance. But prior to that, the, um, you know, there was the genocide uh, in, uh, of the Armenians, the Greeks, the other Rome Orthodox. There was uh, consistent hostility towards uh, diverse groups. I mean, you're a Shia Ishmaeli. So, you know, you're not in some circles of Islam, you're not considered mainstream. We weren't considered part of Islam until 2004. Right. So, you know, this is the issue when you're a minority, at least in terms of the political sense and political power and structure. Uh, In in other places, so you now have arguably... 15 to 16 autocephalous Orthodox churches. Uh, We never had a Pope in the sense that we never had one person in charge. The first among equals was Rome. When uh, Rome, we would say historically went into schism, then the second first among equals was Constantinople. And in the last hundred years, since about 1923, 1922, the Patriarchate of Constantinople has been um, publishing positions that have a unique ecclesiology that is foreign to the Orthodox tradition. Okay, and and, and so, so Russia has its own run, run, own or, or is there RC the, the own patriarch and yeah. own patriarch, and so and and of course that's. From an outsider, it's, it looks as it's, it's, it's very sort of ethnically driven, right? So the Russians right. have their own church, autocephalous church. They have their own patriarch. Same thing with the Greeks. Uh, the Antiochians are a little bit amorphous because you guys are are straddle multiple areas, ethnicities, and cultures. Being, I mean, I think Antioch is what it's on. It's on the border of Syria, isn't it? From Turkey to well, Syria, it, it used to be. It's now in Turkey. Yeah, it's on the border. And I think it was in 1929 when the Western powers gave it to Turkey to keep Turkey out of World War II because they knew right. World War II was going to happen. Right. And so and then so you have the fall of Constantinople. And since then, 
the patriarch of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, is still in a, in a, in a sort of traditional manner maintaining his authority over all of the autocephalous churches as sort of the leader. Is that is that what's kind of happening? No, no, that's actually never happened that way. What will confuse people is that that is often pushed as the paradigm that he's a papal figure and in the patriarchates and the primates, because some of the primates are actually metropolitans, for instance, in Poland or the Czech lands or in uh, what they is called the Orthodox Church in America, they're called metropolitans. And I believe the head of the new church, uh, well, actually, that's an archbishop in Skopje, but um, it's a confederacy and confederacy in american english has a bad name you know bad connotation but it actually doesn't because the united states was actually founded after continental congress with the articles of confederacy Mm -hmm. so you have ecclesial bodies who are in communion with one another who have basically identical ecclesiologies beliefs about church and ecclesial uh, identical theologies about church about human beings being humans for instance being the image and likeness of god and despite the fact that it's a confederacy despite the fact at different times uh the churches can be very ethnic and seem in that regard exclusive to others despite all those things they have maintained unity uh very well under the circumstances i explain to people if you look at history in the orthodox world up until 1991 for decades 95 percent of the orthodox christians had been oppressed by a violent oppressor so in 1991 uh by that point almost all the communist governments had fallen but the orthodox churches under those governments i mean when people talk about tens of millions of christians being persecuted in the 20th century they're not talking Protestants. Right. Uh, some of those are Catholics, but the bulk of those are Orthodox Christians under a communist regime. Yeah, I always, I always, when we talk about the, the persecuted Christians, and you know, in Washington, you and I swim in these waters quite a bit. And it's there's indefensive Christians, there's Christian International Christian Concern, there's Jubilee Campaign, there's all these organizations, and they're all they all have these throw these numbers up there, and and all of them are evangelical groups, and then so. Uh, but the Christians that are talking about being persecuted are really in the Middle East, and they're Orthodox Christians, and they right. they can, they don't care for, they, they don't care for them so much. They 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 they're they're not passionate about their theology and who they are. Um, I spoke in the last podcast about the name of the rose and how I enjoy the book largely because it's a murder mystery, but. Sec- in a secondary fashion, because they talk about in the monastery all these different sects that that the monks are coming from. Oh, he's a Benedictine, and this guy's a Cathar, and this guy's that, and and they're supposed to have the reason why they're alive is they sort of uh, 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 announced their heresy and said, no, 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 I'm part of the mainstream now, which is why they're still alive and they're in that monastery. But they go through mm-hmm. the different sects that they're from. Uh, and and then talk about the persecution because the purging that happened uh, during the um, the Inquisition and so about you know weeding out 
all these diversity within the Catholic church and sort of bringing everybody into the mainstream and making everyone sort of commit to it. And if they're not, then uh, they're going to do away with those sects. Um, and so the Christian persecutions happen right now. It's, it's, it's diverse in the sense that uh, we, in the Middle East, you have a, a group of, of, um, of, of Orthodox Christians from different communities uh, the, the the Church of the East, the Antiochians, the Coptic Church, you know, and they're being or or were, there's a lot that were hammered by ISIS during that time, during the the the, the from from uh, what 2010 up to just a few years ago, and so when we're talking about Christian persecution, we're not talking about the sort of broad based Christian persecution. We're talking about very very with specificity of when it comes to the high numbers of what's happened in the Middle East to your community or your the people you're in communion with, as you would say. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And as you brought up in Washington D.C., the voices that represent those communities aren't usually the voices on the podium. Right. And. Uh, so that's one of the issues that's part of the business of earth, the business of international religious freedom, where you hear about advocacy and you wonder about impact where, you know, how much of the dollar, so to speak, goes to the person actually feeling the persecution, for instance, like Nagorno-Karabakh right now with the Armenians, Gen genocides going on right there, Azerbaijan, uh, very successfully wiping out uh, 2,000 or more years of Armenian history in the area. Yeah, yeah, and, we, were, we were speaking you know, about that, and there, there, you know, it's about 60, almost about 70,000 refugees that are going in back into Armenia that won't be able to come back, and no. a 30-year struggle for independence has ended. Um, and and, and it, it was the Azerbaijanis. It was like a lightning war. They 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 just mobilized a massive amount of of, of ordnance and and soldiers that just rocked in there, uh, right. while the Armenian the, the Karabakh Armenians were disarming. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so so now that's but those numbers can go under the Christian persecution sort of banner. And exactly right. It's, it's and, a genocide when you wipe out their homeland. That, so, that's one of the aspects of genocide. And it's 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 tough because it, I was involved in 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 when the Ukrainian church became was autocephalous, right? So it became uh, an independent church, and that was interesting because it was two thousand maybe sixteen or something seventeen when that was going on. And the challenge is is that once that happens, you're you're trying to differentiate yourself in that case from the ROC, the Russian Orthodox Church, mm -hmm. right? And it, it it can create an opportunity for a competitor or for an, another group to come in. And in that case, the, the Roman Catholic Church came in and started to become a safe haven for Orthodox Christians in Ukraine. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with with that aspect of it but go ahead well they were the, the, the catholic church is growing in the ukraine uh particularly because of the war and right. uh and and it's I, I don't think that's persecuting christians but the the 
the, the what the the intent of of making that statement was that that there's the power plays are still going on, right? You have, oh yeah, always. You know, so always. so the, the Russian Orthodox Church and the and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church are at odds with each other because of the war, and the Catholic Church is growing now in in the Ukraine. But all right, so so I've got to address something here. The there are two Ukrainian churches in Ukraine. One that is recognized by the Ecumenical Patriarch, Patriarch of Alexandria, Church of Greece, and Church of Cyprus. And that is the Orthodox Church Ukraine. It's also backed by the U.S. government and the government of the U.K. Hmm. The historic church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, headed by Metropolitan Nufri, uh, is recognized by everybody else. Antioch, uh, Jerusalem, um, Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania, Bulgaria, Romania being NATO allies, Orthodox Church of Poland, NATO ally, Orthodox Church of Czech, uh, Czech lands and Slovakia, NATO, NATO ally. And um, I'm trying to think, I'm sure the new church in Macedonia recognizes that. Uh, right. And so the, the, the issue in and I wrote about this five years ago at the request State Department. It's a, the 15 page paper is online and that was followed up a few months later at their request for uh, some clarifications, what's going on. I have an intention to go further with it. The idea of creating a church in that uh, manner has nothing to do with Orthodox Christianity. And uh, in terms of ecclesiology, uh, contrary to what the ecumenical patriarch had said, it is not in our theology or ecclesiology that he can just set up churches and that he can rescind decisions that are 400 years old and that were accepted uh, in a unified manner throughout the Orthodox Church. And part of the proof, if you will, that he is in, incapable of doing that is, uh, on the one hand, recently, the, the uh, Patriarchate of Constantinople had made the comment that they were not going to have other churches review their decisions. And I would can't tell you off the top of my head where you can find that, but my part of that is uh, in the different news outlets, media outlets that they use. But what's very interesting is, so in Orthodox Christianity, 100 years ago, I was like yesterday, right? So the concepts of time in the Orthodox world are much, much different than they are in uh, everybody else's world. So people, for instance, in this country, they go back 100 years or 200 years and they uh, talk about things that happened then. In other parts of the world, they talk about things that happened a thousand years ago and their impact on today. But in terms of the Patriarch of Constantinople and his ability to unilaterally or asymmetrically do things like that, there are two things to keep in mind. The Council of Jerusalem and the Council of Dositheos. One was 1443 and the other was 1672, where the ecumenical patriarch was corrected by the patriarch of Jerusalem. Hmm. So and that's, so, so, so there's the, 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 
what you're saying is, is what we're talking about now is authority bases within exactly the, right. the Orthodox church. Exactly. And so there's been instances where uh, by, by consensus, there's been a correction of the, the patriarch of Constantinople in, in, in two instances you're citing. And, and the challenge is, is that now you have with autocephalus, uh, you the autocephalus Ukrainian church, and then on, and then the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the patriarch of Constantinople, which is Istanbul. Now they're operating without consensus within the community. And that creates that, which yeah. is, which is not unique because everyone wants to operate without consensus, but the, the challenge is, is that they're with the geopolitical situation globally, they're, they're able to align themselves with entities that support that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah that's I, I definitely part of it. The And it's kind of, it's more than consensus because on the one hand, probably all the patriarchs were corrected historically. Right. And this is why we uh, don't have a Pope and, and the Roman Catholics. And, and I don't mean this in a negative way. They have a theological belief of the uh, magisterial infallibility of their pontiff when he speaks on faith and morals ex cathedra from his seat. We have mm -hmm. nothing like that in the Orthodox church and we never have. And so when a bishop sits there and says, well, my decisions won't be reviewed by the church. Well, maybe not while you have breath, but the church goes back and revisits things. Origin mm -hmm. and origins theology was re revisited and condemned 200 years after his death. Right. Well, so, the durability of the church is, is, yes. is there. It's, you know, the, I was just having this conversation with somebody about the Catholic church and I was and then they were they're kind of saying bad mouth in the Catholic church. I go, it's durability is there. I mean, it, right. it's it's out it's outlived empires and kingships and all kinds of other stuff. So the challenge is it in in your in the Orthodox model, which is sort of like a decentralized, it's sort of like states' rights versus federal rights, right? The Roman Catholic Church would be like a federal system, and 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 the Orthodox is kind of like a these 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 states ruling themselves, but 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 interacting in a in a in a manner that that's where consensus allows 
for greater survivability. And the durability of the Eastern Orthodox churches is there. It 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 it, right. it lasted the fall of the West of the Eastern Empire. It's it's lasted uh multiple invasions throughout the MENA region. Uh and and these independent, semi-independent churches, autocephalous churches now are are existing and operating to this day, although some of them might be on their heels, like we were talking about the Church of the East and some of the, the communities that are in in uh, in, the, in the Middle East, uh, particularly post-ISIS. But in that this this power play that's happening, uh, that that's 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 happening right now is is. Uh, how is that affecting the, the community as a whole? So wh- like, where should the center be? According to like from an outsider, I go, Oh, like, yeah, the, the patriarch of Constantinople, that's the guy. And, and, you know, right. so, so I, I kind of go, well, you know, everybody's kind of at, you know, the, the vice presidents from an outsider, I'd say is like, is Kirill in, in Russia. I don't know who the, I don't know who the, uh, the, 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 the Greek Orthodox is. And then, uh, you know, the Antiochian, uh, is it a patriarch or is it a bishop or what's what's patriarch? The patriarch. The patriarch and th- yeah. then you have Alexandria, which uh, that's the Coptic patriarch. Church. And then you and have yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Then you have Jerusalem somewhere in there. Yeah, those are the ancient uh, members of the patriarch uh, pentarchy, rather. Right. Rome, Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. But there's no Rome because that's the that's the Pope. He's not right. part of the. So right. in that vacuum. Does it become, is it, you know, is it, is it the guys in Baghdad is the bad boys of, uh, of orthodoxy, the, 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 the church of the East, you know, those guys, who's that? Is that a no, patriarch? No, uh, not in the, uh, room, not in the Eastern collections, so to speak. There's another title, which I forgot to mention. And I forgot to mention the church of Georgia, a historic ancient, arguably one of the most ancient Orthodox churches, the head of their church is uh, the Catholicos. Oh, that's so sexy name. So, so, and that's in the Armenian. That's in the. No, Armenia. that's in Georgia. That's in well, Tbilisi. Well, I, well, that's in Tbilisi, but you got Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan. That's in that the, neighborhood. The Armenians have a Catholicos also, but okay. so do the Malankara, uh, Syriac, uh, Malankara. They have a Catholicos. Is, also. There, is there an annual meeting? Do you guys ever get together? All not that. like that. Not no? like that. They now it's the um, we get to, you know there's at least a weekly meeting. We'd say to, we get together to celebrate and partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ at least on Sundays, maybe more days of the week, but never uh, not in the way that you're thinking of it. Not like an a- annual uh, board meeting or something like that. I mean, shouldn't they? Maybe they should. Well, you know that's that's kind of my, beyond my ability to uh, dictate terms. I'm happy to if some, anybody wants to get in touch with me, give some recommendations. What, would it but, ever happen? Where like where would they meet? You know, like that would it would it be a you know they'd have to meet on neutral ground. You know, they'd have to meet yeah, they, somewhere. Sometimes they have meetings like that in Switzerland. Okay. Uh, in the last century, but they uh, it would be interesting to see that happen. There's so many issues go flying around. Not, you know, we haven't even discussed the war with uh, really the world war going on in Ukraine right now. Right. And um, well, you and I should do a show on that because we and I are, are, yeah, are pretty heavily yeah. involved in, in I, the I, stuff there. But yeah, I call it the uh, world war on the north shore of the Black Sea because hmm. it's, it's certainly a world war. 
at this point, and it has a global impact. But uh, with the Orthodox Christians, the we'll just concentrate on the Eastern or the Room Orthodox. What the present mess we're in with what's been going on in Ukraine, and really it's the Patriarch of Moscow and the Patriarch of Constantinople fighting over uh, geopolitical status. So uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople has been pretty firmly aligned with Ukraine, uh, excuse me, the UK government and the US government since it would appear since the 1950s. Which, which is alarming because, at least in the United States of America, we have something called the Constitution. We have the First Amendment. Right. And so the U.S. government shouldn't be picking sides on religious issues. It's actually forbidden to do so. And so when you have uh, people like former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo talk about bringing religious freedom to Ukraine, and the only thing that happened while he was there was Orthodox Church Ukraine, right. this asymmetrical projection. You have to wonder how much our government was involved in that. Well, in, I, it, it, that, that's what happens illegally. with my community. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens with, yeah. my, with my community. It's it's it become. Well, I remember when the autocephalous stuff happened, and I, I my one of my uh, comments was that. One of my comments was that we're, you know, you're, you're creating a, a, a you know, a, a holy war. You, you, you're, you're, you know, and, and whether that whether that metastasizes into something that's that's violent, I don't really know. This is when the autocephalous stuff was going. And and basically there was very little negotiation. It was just we're going to form. We, we've got big backers and this is happening. And I, I, the train has left the station. And that's what happened, you know, in 2015, you know, it was, I wasn't 2015, it was 20, it was like 2017 thereabouts, 20, you know, 2016, 17. And, and so it was really strange to me because the same thing happens in, with the Muslim community. There's everybody plays favorites and those favorites get fortified and the other religious, the, the other, the other faith groups within the interfaith uh, uh, Ummah uh, ends up being uh, marginalized or, or even worse, uh, because of that. Um, but I, I, I appreciate, you know, you, you kind of, kind of walking through some of this for us, you know, so the Orthodox church is diverse. The Orthodox church has used to have the five patriarchs. It doesn't anymore. It has four. There's seems to be some kind of, um, uh, question of, of who is who has authority within the church to lead it? There are some people that claim they do, but there's traditionally never been anyone in in charge of the church. Uh, yes, because we don't. You see, we don't believe that uh, Jesus Christ has left in that regard. So he is the head of the church. There are some terms that are bandied about, like the unifying principle of the Orthodox Church. Well, that that is Jesus Christ. The uh, another term that's bandied about is all holiness. That's actually a term in the Orthodox Church that's uh, reserved to the Mother of God, Mary the Theotokos. And panagia means pan, pan, we'd say it in English, agia, holy, all holy. So that's really her term. It belongs to her exclusively. 
and exclusively the unifying principle of the church in the room Orthodox world, we would say is Jesus Christ himself. And so, both those terms have been uh, used by patriarchs. Go ahead. So you're, 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 uh, you're entering into, I wonder if I can touch it. So let's just say that I have, or we'll just, you know, that we're, we're Orthodox, uh, part of the Orthodox community. You are, right? And we have some kind of, we have something that we want to get consensus on right now. We, we, we want something to get support of from the, the Orthodox Uma. The, the, all the, the community. The community. Right? And Definitely. so you need to get the leaders on board, right? The patriarchs. So, you know, and it, it, it doesn't matter what the issue is, but let's just say we want to do that. How... Who, who, who do you have to, who's the top tier people that you have to go to? And I mean, top tier, not in the pejorative sense, but you have to, who, who would, who would be on the list? Who would be, what would be the list of people you have to engage on this issue in order to get consensus and support for, you know, it could be, oh, you know, the, the Armenian genocide to bring aid to them and have the Orthodox communities do something. I'm just riffing a little bit, but something like that. What would, how would you, what would, how would you go about it? And who would, who would be the important groups to do that with? Well, there, there is a uh, room orthodox, if you will, uh, NGO called International Orthodox Christian Charities. Highly likely they're involved in that already. And they, they with other NGOs, work in a cooperative network in crisis areas like that to, to practically address the kind of thing you're talking about. It would be more likely something that impacts ecclesiology. So, for instance, uh, recently a self-ruling church was created in uh, Ma North Macedonia, the country of North Macedonia. And there was an argument as to who gives them the right, who their mother church is, if you will. Mm -hmm. But that's a term we use in our uh, ecclesiological world to uh, make the daughter church its own mother church. So the Serbian church, the Patriarch of Belgrade, Patriarch um, Porphyrius, Porphyrius did that with his Holy Synod. And then the, ecumen the ecumenical patriarch confirmed it, if you will, with his Holy Synod. Okay. That in contrast to what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah. And, uh, and when I say that, the contrast couldn't be starker because in Ukraine, you have the Russians who, uh, you know, the Russian Federation who immorally invaded the country. Hundreds of thousands are dead, if not millions at this point. And you have two churches, one of which is backed by the government, the Orthodox Church Ukraine, who is violently attacking and seizing properties, although by admission of the government of Ukraine, their churches are pretty empty, and they attack clergy from the historic Ukrainian Orthodox Church, who is uh, Metropolitan Anufri and his faithful, who are recognized by the overwhelming majority of Orthodox Christians. So how do we address that? Well, the other things to consider are Russian Federation, at war and basically nato is and others are backing uh the government of ukraine 
on the other side. So you have two patriarchs, Constantinople and Moscow, on opposing sides of a world war. And the two biggest uh, players, one on each side, are nuclear capable. So how do you get them to sit down, the patriarchs, who may or may not be able to get the political leadership to sit down, to take a breath and to reassess what they're doing? My recommendation is you would do what you do in the past. You go to the historic patriarchs who are not involved. So for instance, if we go to the Pentarchy, the remaining four, would be Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. Is anybody in, who's involved there? Well, Constantinople and Alexandria are both in opposition for different reasons with the Patriarch of Moscow. Antioch and Jerusalem have been remained neutral right. in the fight in terms of the war. Going back to uh, those two councils, the... Uh, Council of Jerusalem, 1443, and the Council of Dositheus, 1672, we know that the Patriarch of Jerusalem can and has corrected the Patriarch of Constantinople when he's been in error in the past. Right. And to be very clear, Patriarchs of Constantinople have been in serious error at different times in the past, and that's why we don't have a doctrine of mm. patriarchal infallibility, etc., 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 and so to pick sides in a world war where opponents have nuclear weapons, I mean, uh, to somebody do, who, who does that, they are either the saint, a saint or something else, because you have to be completely morally clear on uh, picking a side in that ar arena. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, I, it does. Yeah. I, I just wanted to kind of just, you know, you, you're, you're, you know, unpack about, you know, who are the authorities and how would you go about right. it if you were going to do something? And uh, and because we kind of walk through a little bit of the history, a little bit of the identity of the church, who's who's in charge of these autocephalous entities. And, and it's very, very different than the Catholic tradition where everything is centered on Rome. It's centered on the papacy. I think there's gets there's end up being sort of a diverse representation through the cardinals and the bishops. Uh, but, but in large part, uh, the, 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 the Pope is the authority and, and that's it. Uh, whereas in the Orthodox church, you have cultural ethnic centers like Russia and, and Greece and, and Antioch and, and Egypt and so forth. And those are all autocephalous entities, but there is, you are all, you, you, I think you said in communion. So the idea that you're all practicing the same faith and therefore mm -hmm. there is collaboration and communication between all of these entities. Yes. And there can be at times. So keeping in mind that all people are sinful, I'm, I'm sinful. And as I explained to people on a good day, I'm a sinful idiot. So those are the good days. It gets much worse from there. Uh, but they're in communion, and uh, hopefully they're in communion not just when they go to the chalice, but as St. John Chrysostom says, if you can't see uh, Christ in the beggar, you can't see him in the chalice either. Hmm. Or rather, I think he says, if you can't find 
him and the beggar. You can't find him in the chalice. Right. So, so there's, so there's, there's other power, power plays, and there's power yes. plays going on right now between the Autocephalous Church, for example, for the Autocephalous Church, and then, uh, and then the, the the traditional Greek Orthodox Church. It appears that there's a, a power play going on between the Patriarch of Constantinople and and the Patriarch of Moscow. Yeah, there, there most certainly is a power play going on, and the the. In the Orthodox world, often the best way to understand what's really going on is to look at the churches that are the quietest and what are they doing. And so it's easier for me to name the people that are backing the Orthodox Church Ukraine, Church of Cyprus, Church of Greece, Church of Alexandria, and Church of Constantinople. They are all... Uh, it's the Metropolitan's name is Epiphanius Domenko of the Orthodox Church Ukraine. Uh, they all back him. Right. Everybody else backs Metropolitan Anufri of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And and the, their clergy have directives to pray for them. And they're going under horrific persecution. They're being kicked out of churches. They, they like as they should, like other members of their country they're fighting russian invasion the russian invasion but at the same point in time they're being persecuted for their faith and there's been some some articles in the news about this that just recently about this one what's going yeah, on yeah and and Rand paul our senator Rand paul from kentucky god bless him has brought it up uh you know so it, it's a real issue and if we're going to talk about international religious freedom we've got a summit coming up here in january that was not on the docket last year we'll see it. it's on the earth summit docket this year here in the united states yeah whether you know whether we're really interested in looking at religious freedom even when it's hard to look at it yeah right? because we want ukraine to be free that's not an issue yeah right we we don't want people to suffer there we want them to have the right to self-determination for their government as we would want for, you know, uh, Americans or Chileans or uh, people from Ghana or um, India, you know, at uh, same point in time. So you want the invasion to stop and the horrors of war to stop. But at the same point in time, the people who are fighting to protect their country, they should be able to worship freely. Yeah, no, I, it's I like I said I I know it's a it was a roundabout way of getting into into all this stuff, but I wanted to make sure that we kind of walk through who the players are and and, and how your community exists uh, and how it came to be, and I I think we did a, a fair job of that. We'll have to say what the listenership thinks, but yeah. um, when we'll have to are, do a, a podcast of uh, of yeah. Ukraine and some of the other places. Are, are you wearing a Budapest baseball cap? I am. Okay, just checking. I am. You know me. I have to buy bribes for all of my staff. So yeah. this was one of those. Are you? Well, are you going to wear one? I don't have one. No, that's what they were saying. And I'm like, I, I, you know, I'll be a nerd if you guys want me to be a nerd. Okay, there you go. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, it's you know, you know it's being it's being with your people. That's what Jesus did. Uh, you know, he is I'm, with his people. You know, I'm all about. You know, I'm. I'm. You know soldiering through with my with my peeps you know here at the bakery but i appreciate taking the time so so if you if you don't mind we're going to say a quick prayer for the people suffering from the war in ukraine let's do it all right 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, you created us in your image and you fashioned us after your likeness. You call us by grace to be what you are by nature. Stop the killing and the war. Bring peace, harmony, love, and healing to all of our sisters and brothers, those most in need, suffering from the war in Ukraine. For Metropolitan Anufri, for all of us faithful, for all those suffering, for Metropolitan Epiphanus Domenico, for those suffering through the effects of famine and other effects that the war is perpetrating on the world around us, bring us to a better understanding of your love and grace in our lives and call us in faithfulness, strength, courage, and love to love each other, our neighbor, you and ourselves. For only your holy now and ever, the age of ages. Amen. I mean, I appreciate thank, you. Uh, thank you. You know, you know, I was reaching out in, in a multi-faith fashion of, you know, to try to, you know, affect, affect the, the idea of thinking about this issue differently. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, God bless you, sir. Hopefully it won't be four years in a new foreign capital. <laughs> I appreciate it. Although